great to see so many of you, uh, see your smiling faces in here. Um, as, as Andrew said, we're going to be in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to that. Um, and um, here's what I want to start off with. Um, it's something that I, I say every week because I mean it. Um, I hope that today inspires you to walk in more faith and trust with Jesus uh, today than you had yesterday. And even better, I hope it inspires you to walk in more faith and trust with Jesus tomorrow than today. And if that's what you want, if that's what you're looking for from from a church environment, uh, then guess what? You have found your people. And so, uh, as Andrew said, no matter who you are or where you are, we are a church for you. Uh, so, So with that... We have been going through this series called Rebuilders, uh, going through Ezra and Nehemiah, because in both of them you see this process of rebuilding, right? You see a rebuilding of the temple and you see a rebuilding of this wall around Jerusalem. And, And as we've been talking through that, we keep asking the question, what is God stirring in you? And the reason I did this series is because we're all in this process of rebuilding right now, aren't we? We're all trying to figure out what, is, what does life look like when only certain things are familiar and some things aren't and, 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 and more and more things are getting to be familiar. What does it look like to, to rebuild? What is God stirring in you? And I think this is a really, really powerful question for us to ask anytime, but particularly during this time. What is God stirring in you? And as we've been going through this series, we've seen that what God is stirring in you will require some things from you. It will require you to surrender to God's plan, to surrender to God's word. It will, it will require you to, to invite others to do, uh, to, to do this thing with you, to do this work that God is working in you and through you, that it's not just about you. We've also learned uh, that it'll be really messy, right? That it's not this clear-cut, logical plan from one step to the next. It's full of twists and turns and ups and downs. As Matt talked about last week, we also learned that it'll test your identity in Christ. That that there will be times where you'll be tempted to find your identity in in other things and what God is stirring in you. And then in both in Ezra and Nehemiah, we see this other theme that's continually coming up about opposition. Right? And, and, and so we've talked about this. We've talked about how every holy proposition faces unholy, what? Opposition, right? Every holy proposition faces unholy opposition. Anything that God is stirring in you, in you and through you, will face some sort of opposition. And this is where we pick up again in Nehemiah. As they're rebuilding the wall, we get to see opposition yet again. And y'all, I gotta tell you, I'm getting tired of opposition. I'm getting tired of it for Ezra and Nehemiah. It's probably just more of a reflection. I'm getting tired of it for myself, right? Anybody else there? We're just tired. Well, let's look at what this opposition does because today we're going to see something really, really unique because today we're going to see that what God is stirring in you and through you isn't just for you. It isn't just for God's people around you, but it also is for the opposition. Because something happens to the opposition with what God is stirring in you. Because today, here's what, what we're going to see. It's for, those, it's for those who oppose God's work to see a work of God that can only be accomplished by God. That's what they're going to see. And, and so what we're going to see today is that those who oppose God's work get to become an audience for the work of God. Right? That those who oppose God's work get to become an audience 
for God's word. Now, if you've been following through, uh, you might notice last, uh, last week we did chapter five, uh, but we left a few verses at the end of chapter five, and I'm gonna come back to those, to those later, but for now, I want us to, to dive into chapter six. Well, let's look at chapter six, verse one. It says, now when Samballot and Tobiah, there they are again, and, and Geshem the, the Arab and the rest of the enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I did not set up the doors and the gates. Now, this is important. So what Nehemiah is saying here is that, is that the wall is done. Now, if you remember, uh, when he started, some of the wall was built, some of it was torn down, and it was a complete mess. Well, now, now the, the nation has gathered together and they've built this wall, but they don't have the doors and gates up yet. So, so it's almost done, but not yet, which means for the opposition, if they, this is their last chance to stop it, right? Because once those doors and gates goes into place, it's done. And so this is their last chance. If they're going to stop it, now's it. And what we'll see is the opposition do here what the opposition always does to those who are following what God is stirring in them, for those who are allowing God to work in them and, and through them. Look at verse 2. It says, Sanballat and Geshem, sent to me saying, come let us meet together in whatever place that is, in the plain of Ono. But they intended to harm me. So, so here's what's happening. So Sam Ballot and his crew send a message to Nehemiah and say, hey, come let us meet together, right? Sounds great. Let's go to Papa's and beer. Let's have a great time, right? Let's, 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 let's talk this through. But, but here's the deal. It's in this place called the plain of Ono. Right, And I'm sure I'm saying it wrong, but I'm saying it that way for a reason. But it's called the Plain of Ono. And, and the Plain of Ono is actually an entire day's journey away from where Nehemiah is. And so what they're asking him to do, and from what, from what we know about this place, it was also, too, a pretty harsh place to be, like a pretty dangerous place to be. So what they're asking Nehemiah to do is saying, hey, I mean, I know you're almost finished with your work, but hey, take a three-day break and come, with, come down here with us. Because it'd take him a day to get there, a day to meet with him, and a day to get back. Right? But Nehemiah knows what their real intentions are, that they wanted to harm him. Now, maybe the name did give it away. The plane of, oh, no. Like, oh, no, no. No, no. Not today. Not going there. Right? But this shows us one of the things that the opposition always tries to do to us when we're doing whatever God is stirring in us to do. When we're doing with the work that God is rebuilding in us, in us and through us. And he always tries to put a stop of the work of God through us by the same tactic, by distracting us, right? That the opposition wants to distract God's work. So here Nehemiah is, he's almost to the finish line, right, of this project that's been going on for a long time. And right before he crosses the finish line, there's this temptation to be distracted by it. Well, let's look at how Nehemiah responds in verses 3 and 4. It says, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. And so, so here's what he said. He said, listen, the work I'm doing here is too great to stop. And if I go to you, I will actually be wasting my time. Now, what's interesting is that didn't stop them. How many more times did they try? Four more times they tried to distract him. And try to pull him down off that wall. Y'all, here's what distracting yourself from the work that God is doing in you and through you always does. It just creates wasted time and lost work. It's what distraction does. That's kind of the, the definition of distraction, isn't it? 
Now, I'm going to tell you what the distraction in my life is, and I'm going to tell you this so y'all can hold me accountable, right? Uh, It's social media is the biggest distraction in my life. I will get on there to send a message to someone and look up, and it's been 45 minutes, and I haven't sent the message yet, right? But I know, I know what you did yesterday, right? Like, Like, that's what social media does, and it's this distraction. And here's why I'm telling you this. I'm going to give y'all permission on a certain time during the week to call me out if you see me on social media. Here's why. Wednesday afternoons and Monday afternoons are the dedicated time that I have the most dedicated time to work on my sermons. And I don't know what it is, but when I am working on my sermons, it is the easiest to distract me during that time than any other time of the entire week. Why? Because I believe it's like Nehemiah working on the wall. It is this great work for me to do. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's the most important thing that I do, but I know it requires a whole lot more of my soul and spirit than a lot of the other stuff that I do. And it is so easy for me to get distracted. And I say that to tell you, if you see me on the socials, On Monday afternoons or Wednesday afternoons, you have the complete freedom to say, hey, how's that sermon going? (laughs) Right? Because I might be done. Right? You know, because I have have this whole schedule so I can stay on track of of sermon prep. And I might have done everything I needed to do that day. So I get to reward myself with checking in with y'all. Right? But I give y'all permission to call me out and just ask. Because I don't need to be distracted. Right? And if you see that little green dot disappear, you know that you nailed me and I'm back on my sermon. Right? (laughs) Right? If I don't answer, then I'm like, oh, oh no, here we go. Right? So let me ask you, what is, what is your distraction? What is the thing that, 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 that is easy for you to be distracted from, from the great work uh, that God is stirring in you to do? Is it social media like me? Is it, is, it, is it TV? Is it YouTube? Is it Minecraft and gaming? What, what is it? You see, what is the thing that's continually drawing you away from, from the greater work? Now, now, Nehemiah's answer to this is real simple. Just don't do that thing, right? He stayed up on the wall. He just, he just didn't do it and, and stuck to it. Nehemiah didn't go to Ono. So maybe for you, when that distraction pops up, maybe we can just use that word, oh no, right? And just say, oh no, oh no, 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 not going to be distracted. I'm going to stick to the work. Right now, there's some I've been I've been reading this this interesting research about handwriting. You know, because I do so much typing, I've been I, and I kind of miss handwriting. I've switched to handwritten journal and stuff because because there's great research that shows that when you write something down, it actually fires different neurons in your brain to remember it better than typing does. And I say that to say maybe for you it would be good to actually write down what your distraction is and call it out. What is that distraction? Now, some of you are taking notes today, like, just jot it down. Nobody has to see it, just you. What, what is that distraction for you? And write it down. Now, distraction, though, isn't the only tactic that the opposition uses for Nehemiah. Look at, look at what they do next. Look at verse 5. It says, In the same way, Sam Ballot, for the fifth time, sent his servant uh, to me with an open letter in his hand. Now, an open letter is an interesting thing because an open letter means that this was a letter that he didn't send to Nehemiah. He sent to everyone to read. And in that, we see what, what the opposition also tries to do, that the opposition wants to discredit God's work. If he can't distract God's work, he wants to discredit it. Now, here's what discredit means. Discredit means to make something good look bad. 
right? That's what, that's what discredit means. It's like trying to give someone a bad reputation just because you don't like them, even though they did nothing wrong, right? You're trying to, to discredit them. And, and that's what this open letter is. This is an open letter that could be read by anybody, anywhere, is what uh, the, the opposition is doing. It wasn't sent to Nehemiah privately. It was this attempt to publicly discredit Nehemiah. Well, here's what it was in that open letter. Look at verse, uh, verse 6. It says, in it, uh, in it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. Uh, so now come, let us take counsel together. And so here's what this letter is trying to do. This, this letter is trying to spread rumors that simply aren't true. Right? Because Nehemiah, Ezra, they've done everything they need to do for the, for the, for the uh, empire they were under, the Babylonian empire, to be able to do this. They aren't rebelling. They have the, the approval of the king. They're doing exactly uh, what they have been asked to do. But this letter is spreading rumors. It's spreading gossip about them, things that aren't true. But here's the deal. We're going to see with opposition, truth isn't the target anyway. Right? That's why truth doesn't matter to the opposition. Truth isn't the target. Look, look at what the real target is. Verse 8 says this, And then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. In other words, that's Nehemiah saying, you, you are crazy, is what he's saying. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from work, their hands will drop from the work, if it, and, and it will not be done. See, Nehemiah wasn't the target of these rumors. The work of God was the real target. And so the opposition, they don't care about Nehemiah. Like, Nehemiah could quit, and somebody else could come up. They don't, they don't care about Nehemiah. They don't care about the truth. What they want is they want to stop the work of God. And we've seen this tactic before, because they know if they can't, uh, stop by distracting Nehemiah, what they're going to do is try and instill fear into the people. Because as we said before, fear stops the work of God like, like nothing else. Nehemiah knows that, and he knows that they're trying to frighten the people because that's what they want to do. And y'all, this is what rumors do. This is what gossip does, is it creates fear, Right? Because fear will stop the work of God like nothing else. Healthy criticism actually starts privately, right? What Nehemiah did was, I mean, what, what Sam Ballot did is, is, is do this open letter publicly. And what we see here is unhealthy because it started publicly. Well, look at Nehemiah's response in the rest of verse 9. He says this, But now, O God, strengthen our hands. Right? And so we see Nehemiah do what, what we've seen him do time and time again is that he prays. Notice he doesn't, he doesn't, he, he replied back to them and then he prays. 
And he said, listen, what you're saying isn't true. Now keep in mind, he still hasn't come down off the wall. He still hasn't stopped the work. He sent that letter to them. He didn't go to them. He sent that letter to them. And then he prays to God. Now remember, as we've talked through Nehemiah, we've seen that humility is knowing where I stop and God starts. What Nehemiah knows, which is why he prays, is that fear is the territory of God. Only God can dispel the fear in someone's heart. Only God can dispel the fear in a group of people's heart. And he knows the only thing he can do about that is, is pray. Because he did all he could do. He could say the rumors aren't true. He did his part. And now he knew the rest was up to God. For God to do what only God can do. He realizes that only God can remove the fear behind these rumors. See, the opposition wanted to distract God's work and waste time. They wanted to discredit God's work and make something good look bad by creating fear. And when we create time to pray in the midst of those, we get to see the work of God the way God sees it. And what's even better is we get to see the God of the work. And we get to see him. We get to see that our fears just disappear like a vapor, right? Now, let me, let me ask you this. What what fears do you have? And I don't mean like spiders and bugs, although that's legit, right? Like, like I'm, I'm with you. But, but like, what wakes you up in the middle of the night? What are those fears? What are those fears that, that keep bouncing around in your head? Are, what, are the, what are those fears? Right? Is it the fear of not knowing what to do? Right? We've got a lot of, 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 of families that, that uh, had babies during COVID. Thank you, coronavirus, right? Nursery's going to be full. We're taking applications for volunteers. I don't ha- I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but how many parents constantly feel like you don't know what to do, right? You know what? You don't know what to do. That's okay. But when that wakes you up in the middle of the night and you're stressed about it, fear has taken root. You ever have the fear of not being enough? Not being enough to do what God is asking you to do. Not being enough to handle a, a, a conversation that you need to have. Not being enough to, to, to do what, what to be whoever you, you know, God is asking you to be. To not be enough. Maybe a fear of letting people down. You see, what, what wakes you up in the morning stressed? You see, what if we call that what it is? It's fear. It's just fear. And what if we do what Nehemiah does and pray? Simply pray. And actually love his prayer. His prayer is, oh God, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands. Strengthen our hands. And see, what happens when we pray is, when we pray to God, that, that fear gets replaced with hope. That hope to, to, to carry on. Now look at this in verse 10. Verse 10 says this, Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delilah, or Delilah, I think that's how you say it, uh, the son of Methelabel, we'll go with that, uh, who is confined to his home. Here's the deal. Like, he, he, he's with this guy. It's one of his own people now. And for some reason, they're under confinement. But we're going to see that this confinement is temporary because this person that's in his own circle is also part of this opposition. Because look at what verse 10b says. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God. So, so here's what's interesting. This guy who, who's in temporary confinement says, hey, when I get out, right, let's go to church together, is what he said. Man, that sounds great, doesn't it? 
Like he wanted uh, to, to go to church, but, but let's look because he actually had other plans. Look at the rest of verse 10. He said, he said, let us go, let us meet in the house of God together within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. Again, there's fear. And they're coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. You see, here's what Nehemiah knew. See, this guy didn't want to go to church with Nehemiah. This guy wanted to go into the temple with Nehemiah, which in in Nehemiah's time was a very different thing because only priests could go into the temple. Right? Nehemiah knew the law of God and he knew the stories of God and he knew, wait a second, I've heard this before. There is a leader before who went into the temple and went where he wasn't supposed to go, and it didn't go well for him. And, and he knew the story of King Uzziah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read something to you. I'm going to read 2 Chronicles verse 26 and 16 through 21. Listen, listen to what happened to King Uzziah. It says, but when he was strong, this is the King Uzziah, and grew proud, uh, and grew proud to his destruction... For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn the incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priest and the sons of Aaron who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor to the Lord God, no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry, uh, when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priest and in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And then Azariah, the chief priest, and the priest looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out, because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and being a leper, lived in a separate house, and he was excluded from the house of the Lord. So here's what happened. This king did what only priests were to do. And because of that, because he overstepped his bounds, the Lord punished him and he was no longer a leader. He was separated from the people. Nehemiah knew this and Nehemiah knew that if he went with this guy into the temple, he wouldn't be a leader anymore. And this is what the opposition wants to do. If they can't distract us and discredit it, here's what they want to do. The opposition wants to disqualify God's work. Now here's what disqualify means. Disqualify means like you're playing a game. Right? And, and you try and do something so the other person breaks the rules, right? And when they break the rules, they're out of the game. It's like, it's like, it's like playing uh, soccer. You soccer players, let me know if I get this illustration right because I'm not a sports guy, right? But, but, but it's like if, 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 if you're, you're playing soccer, you know that, that, man, if they're getting close and they're in a place you don't want them to be and y'all are both running right on the edge of the, of the, the boundary line, right, to knock, you can just give them a little bump and they go out and then it stops the play of the game for a little bit. And then they have to get up and come back in. But, so that doesn't disqualify them. But, if you've watched the film of this guy play, and you know that when this happens to him, and he gets bumped, he gets angry, and you set in your mind to do it four or five times because you've watched enough film, you know that if somebody bumps this guy four or five times, he gets angry and loses control and gets a red card and gets thrown out of the game, then you can disqualify him. That's what the opposition is doing. 
is they're trying to get Nehemiah uh, to disqualify himself by doing something uh, that he shouldn't be doing, that he doesn't need to be doing. That's what, that's what disqualifying means. And if they can get Nehemiah to break the temple rules, he won't be leader anymore, and at least the work will stop. Well, look at Nehemiah's response in verse 12. Verse 12 says this. Um, it says, And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but had pronounced a prophecy against me because Tobiah and Samballot had hired him for the purpose that he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. You see, Nehemiah knew that the sin of the leader can disqualify a leader and stop the work of God. And y'all, this isn't just leaders. Like, this isn't just people like me who are leading a church. That, that, that as you lead in the areas of your life, Satan can disqualify you and take you out of those positions. You see, Nehemiah didn't go where he was supposed to go. Now, now what's interesting is we don't have to worry about temple rules, right? Like, we don't, we're not under the same covenants that they were under. Uh, but ours are still different. We can still be disqualified. I mean, I see stories of pastors all too often that are disqualified, right? Because of choices that they made. Y'all, this guy wanted to lure Nehemiah into sin to disqualify him from the work that God was doing in him and through him. And so what God is stirring in you is important because that can be the thing that, that you can be lured into where the work of God will stop working in you and through you. And so what... What are the things that, that are most common for us these days? Let me, let me just throw out a few. Sex, power, money. How about those? Right? Sexual sin, sin will stop the work of God uh, almost uh, immediately, like nothing else. Habitual pornography, adultery, even, even flirtatious interactions will stop the work of God in you and through you. The love of power will disqualify you. Now, you might be saying, Fred, 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 I, I'm not a power junkie. Well, let me give you a couple other words that might be more familiar. How about control or its cousin worry, right? Because, because those are fueled by power, right? In particular, a fear of losing power. That's what control is. That's what worry is, Right? It's a fear of losing power. And I've got to tell you, I see the church of Jesus Christ worry about a whole lot of stuff. A whole lot of stuff. And, and, and my heart goes out to you like, I get it. Oh, I get it. But God, I mean, Jesus specifically says, do not worry, doesn't he? Paul says, don't be anxious. But yet we hold on to that. Why? Because, because we want control, we want power, and we're afraid of what would happen if what we worry about actually happens. Here's the great thing about worry. 99% of the stuff you worry about never happens. Right? It's a complete waste of time. And that 1% that does, guess what? God's still got you. You see, we worry about money. We worry about our government. We worry about our kids. We worry about our homes. We worry about all this stuff. And this worry stops the work of God in us and through us. When I see a person consumed by worry, here's what I know. I know that God has got great plans for them and they have hit pause. 
And oh, I would love for them to be able to give up that worry and step into what God has called them to do. My students, can I tell you um, uh, how to stop the work of God through you? Because students, you're in this place where you are beginning to ask the question, what is your career going to be? What what does life look like ahead of you? And there's one question that you can ask that will always cut short the work of God in you. And it's this one question, how much will I make doing this? Right? If that's your first question, you will never be able to follow the work of God because oftentimes the work of God costs more money and more time than you've got. And if you want to make sure you've got time and you've got money, then you're probably not doing the work of God. There's a better question to ask, a better first question. And the better first question is this, what can I learn from doing this? Oh, if, 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 students, if you, would, if you would take jobs looking for what God is going to teach you as you do this, the path that you will be on will be so different than if your first question is, is how much will I make? You see, Nehemiah didn't let opposition disqualify him because he knew the ramifications and he knew not to do it. But look at what he does do, y'all. Because, y'all, we can't just stop sinning. I wish I could stand up here and say, don't worry. Like, just stop. Just stop. Let's just stop right? Just, just stop the sexual sin. Just stop. Just stop. But it doesn't work. Trust me, if you could stop, you would have, right? You see, we only stop sinning when we discover that there is something better than the sin, right? We only stop sinning when we leave the, we can only leave the drive for sex, power, and money behind when we see Jesus is more fulfilling than that sin. And look at what happens in verse 14, it says, remember Tobiah and Samballot, oh my God. So now this is Nehemiah praying again. And he says, remember them, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess, uh, Nodiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Because what they did is they paid a whole bunch of people to go against Nehemiah. And what he does is he prays. And this time we see him, we, we see him do this time and time again. He continually takes the oppression and the burdens, and he takes them to God in prayer. He knows that a life with God is better than giving in to this opposition. He continually trusts God to do what only God can do. And what I love about this is, is in, in, in a Western mind, we take that, okay, I'm going to trust God to do what only God can do. And we interpret that as, if I do that, then life is going to be better. Notice we've seen Nehemiah and Ezra pray prayers like this time and time and time again, right? This doesn't stop the oppression. It puts the oppression in its place and allows you to move forward because the oppression is going to come back. You pray, it puts it in its place, you go forward. The oppression comes back, puts it in its place, you go forward. That's what this is. You see, all this time we, 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 that they were trying to build the wall. Oh, no, I jumped ahead. All right, let's look at verse 15, right? Because we see, we see Nehemiah pray, right? And, and, and for us, before we go to verse 14, let me just say this. You know, maybe what you can do, instead of me just saying stop sinning, is, is maybe when you are tempted to, to go to that thing that's easily distracting to you, that thing that's, that, that the opposition is trying to discredit, discredit you with or maybe even disqualify you with, maybe you can do what Nehemiah does. And just pray. And just pray. And, and, and literally, maybe even say out loud the verse 
right, that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Say out loud a verse, any verse that you know, right, whether it applies or not. Just let God's word be spoken from your mouth and just pray. And let's just see what happens, right? Because what happens to me when, when I'm in those distracted places is, is when I pray, I find peace. Right? Maybe that's what Nehemiah found, is he just found the peace to take the next step. Look at, look at verse 15, because this. It says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in, in 52 days. The wall was finished. The doors are up, the gates are up, the work is done. And look at verse 16. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly and, and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. And so here's what happens. You see, the work of God that they tried to oppress became the work of God that they got to see. Right? And they got to see that it was actually a work of God. That it wasn't just Nehemiah's great leadership. It wasn't Ezra's perseverance. They got to see that it was actually a work of God. And all this time, they were trying to stop this wall being built. And when the gates and the doors went into position. But in the end, the oppressors of God's work became this audience of God's work. They got to see that this was a work of God. That's why we're adding these goggles up here on the stage today. Because that's our thing. Like You get to look through them. You get to see the, the oppression of God became an audience to God's, to God's work. And here's what we need to understand today. That, that whatever it is that God is stirring in you. Right? Whether it's big or whether it's small, whether it's for today, whether it's for years from now, like, like whatever it is, what God is stirring in you isn't just for you. That God also wants to rebuild those around you. That the work of God in you displays God's work through you. So that people can see what, what they're doing right now, that is God working in them. You see, now here's, I, I've been thinking about this wall this week. I was, I was really sick this week. Uh, praise the Lord, I started feeling better yesterday, um, which is great. Because I don't know about y'all, but I am not a good sick person. Right? Like, like I don't like being sick. I'm not good at it. I, I was ready to be done with it. Um, but it also gave me some time to think and to think about this sermon. And I kept thinking about this wall that Nehemiah was building and, and the oppression that kept coming up against it and thinking about the, the call of the nation of Israel, like started back with Abraham, was to be, a, to be blessed by God, to be a blessing to the nations. Like, like, and I kept thinking about this wall and, and, and like honestly understanding why they didn't want this wall to be built because it separated them from the nation of God. It separated them from the people of God. Now, they had their own reasons, but I just kept kind of thinking through this. And as I was thinking about this wall and, and, and this oppression, the thought occurred to me, I'm like, this wall that was going up, it wasn't to separate them from the work of God, it was to actually invite them into the work of God, and here's why. Because if you want to separate people, you build a wall. If you want to invite them in, you build a wall with gates. Because a gate and a door is a sign of invitation. And they wanted to invite these people into the kingdom of God. They didn't want to keep them out of the kingdom of God. They wanted to invite them into the kingdom of God. You see, they didn't, they didn't have to be the opposition. 
They could have been a part of the, of the kingdom of God with the nation of Israel. And, 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 and if you don't believe me, like we have a very clear example of this in Jesus. Jesus' mission faced all kinds of opposition, right? He was tempted by Satan himself. He was confronted verbally. He was, he was confronted with weapons. He was gossiped about. He was doubted by all of his, even his own followers. He was interrogated by those who hated him and hated what he represented. Yet he went to the cross to pay for the sins of all the the world, not just the people that followed him, but to pay for the sins of the entire world, those who oppressed him and those who declared their love to him. Somebody once told me, uh, which blew my mind, that Jesus loved the Pharisees, right? And when you read the Gospels, you may not pick up on that, but he did. That's, that's why he loved them so much, to tell them the truth. And it was from this place of love, not condemnation, that Jesus loved those who oppressed them, which is why he went to the cross for them and, and to pay for their sins. To, he did that for us, too, to pay for our worry and our sexual sins and our disobedience and our wasted time and, and all those things, right? So that you and I could have this intimate relationship with God, so that you and I could be part of the kingdom of God. That doesn't match the kingdoms around us, but it is different because it is a kingdom without fear and with peace and with hope and justice and mercy and faithfulness and all of, of, of the goodness of God. And, and, and he did that for us, and then he was resurrected just to show that everything he did was true. Everything that he said about himself was true, and he did it to show us that we can actually trust him. You see, placing our sins in God's hands, placing our sins in, in Jesus, placing our life in Jesus' hands is that doorway into the kingdom, that kingdom of peace. It's that, it's that invitation. Jesus' Jesus's oppressors also became his audience. Right, because there was a, 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 a soldier who witnessed the crucifixion, right? And his job was to stay there and make sure Jesus died. And he became a worshiper of Jesus. When Jesus died, he said, surely this man is the son of God. I think about those guards who, who, who were set there to guard the tomb and, and they represented the oppression that was against Jesus and they got to see the angels roll away that thing. Right? They got to see the work of God. Now perhaps you have been in opposition to the work of God in your own life or maybe, God forbid, in the lives of others. Well today, let today be the day that you say yes to Jesus' invitation into the kingdom of God. That you don't need to oppress God's work. It's actually an invitation in into the kingdom of God by saying yes to Jesus. And for those of us who have said yes to Jesus, maybe like Nehemiah, we have given, we have given the oppression uh, too easy of an open door to, to distract us, to discredit us, maybe even to disqualify us. That's the joy of the gospel, is that we always have a fresh start, right? Whatever that sin is, that habitual sin, Jesus has already died for it and has already paid the price for it. You see, we still need that same gospel, that good news declaring that Jesus is the way to have a good and right and, and life-giving relationship with, with God. You see, the gospel is needed to turn our, the oppressor even in us into the audience of God's work. You know, especially if you're the greatest one oppressing God's work in you. 
You see, this gospel is needed to turn you back to the God of the work in you and through you. And this gospel will fuel the work of God in you. Now, I usually try and give you a specific application. But what I'd love to do is is just to give us some time to pray. And I want you to listen for the Holy Spirit. What is, what is Jesus telling you that you need to lay down? What, what distraction do you need to lay down? Is there a temptation to disqualify you or discredit you that you need to, to lay down? And in its place, uh, pick Jesus up and see Jesus as better. Maybe for some of you, it's to answer the question, what is God stirring in you? And maybe it's just for today. So what I want you to do is I'm going to give us some silence. Actually, if, if y'all want to come up and play some music, you certainly can. Um, um, uh, so I want to give some space, and then I'll pray. And even as we go into these last couple of songs of worship, I want you to keep your spiritual ears open. What is God saying to you? And y'all, that's your application today is what is, the, what is Jesus saying to you? So let's bow our heads and let's ask the question, God, what, what are you saying to us? Jesus, speak. Shine your light on this place and, and speak. To those who are at home, speak. this this sermon, uh, we would know what our next step is with you, whether big or whether small. Father, that, that we would begin that journey. In Christ's name we pray.